Hello, and welcome to the Superhero by Design podcast, a show where we interview real-life superheroes. My name is Ace, and I'll be your host. I'm really excited about my next guest. Not is she the first female superhero to be on the show, but she is an expert when it comes to one of the most powerful superpowers we all possess, whether we realize it or not. She is a stage four cancer survivor, an author and poet, and a leader in the nonprofit, fundraising, and organizational development. She lives a spiritually driven life and takes things one day at a time. Please give a warm welcome to Christy Nelson. <laughs> Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Super happy to be here, Ace. Grateful. Grateful for this opportunity. Well, I'm very excited to have you here as well. Uh, before we get into it, you can learn more about Christy at christynelson.net, which is her personal website, where you'd also find a link to her book, Wake Up Grateful, and also check out gratefulness.org, a network for grateful living. And actually, really, it's a movement for gratefulness. So before we get into who you are and why you choose to live life fully each day, I want to ask you this very important question, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm ready. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. Um, that's such a good question. I, I'm doing every which way, you know? I... I, I just think it's so important to be real. You know, I wake up in the morning and there are things that are hard. There's things that are great. There's things that are easy. It's totally beautiful here right now in New England where I am. The colors are stunning. I mean, breathtaking, right? So that that beauty is so incredible and helps to um, remind us that the world is so much bigger than our internal world. Like, so even if the internal world feels small and dark, this vibrancy of the natural world is always informing my well-being. So um, I feel lucky today. You know, I feel lucky. Um, I have really good people in my life and a lot to be grateful for, even when things can feel overwhelming and hard. And so I think that's the best of all worlds. It's not that life is going to be perfect, but that we have the resources and the means internally to be able to work with that and remember that every moment matters. So that's where I am today. Yeah. How are you no, doing, awesome. Ace? Since it's such a oh, big, man. important question. <laughs> yeah. You know, you are the first person to ask me that question back. So I really appreciate that. Goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> I am doing excellent. I, um, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, morning rituals to get myself in into a good state of mind. So mm. I wake up early. I make my, as I tell people all the time, I make my bed every day. Mm. That kind of organizes my brain, organizes my thoughts. I, uh, I do my breathing exercises. I go to the gym and exercise. And then I uh, either take a pretty cold shower or I dance around a lot to get my body moving to get, uh, to get all the, the good the chi. neuromodulators going. Yeah. Exactly. All that internal exactly. life so. force. Oh my gosh, I love that. I either dance or take a cold shower. I know which one of those I would choose almost on a daily <laughs> basis. It would be a rare moment that I would, although Nashville is warmer than where I am in New England. So I, the occasion for a cold shower might be nice. But thank you oh, for I, telling I, me. I, That's great. <laughs> so let's, um, let's just start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Where were you uh, born and raised? I was born in Yonkers, New York, but I only think I was raised there about two weeks. I don't even remember. My parents um, seemed to almost be passing through Yonkers. Um, I was 
raised predominantly in Eugene, Oregon. Um, so my early, early okay. years were in Eugene. But then um, my sister and brother, younger sister and brother and I, my parents and our dog got in a, uh, I think we had a station wagon and pulled the trailer behind us and camped our way across country and ended up in Amherst, Massachusetts. So that's where I lived. That's where I, I've been in Western Massachusetts most of my adult life and my young life. And it's absolutely beautiful here. So I'm lucky. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now, while you were growing up, um, how was life like? Were there were there internal struggle, struggles that you had? Like what kind of give us a little bit of background on uh, the upbringing that you had mm. and maybe potential things that, that you dealt with while you were growing up? Mm, such a good question. I would say it's it's a deep question, right? So it's like really important to give it uh, due consideration. I would say that um, the main thing growing up was that my parents decided not to be together, right? So that that is in terms of a really significant force that shaped my life. I mean, I haven't talked about that very much, really. Actually, almost nobody asks me those questions either. So that's good. Um, because I do think that our superhero forces probably come forward from the things that we were, you know, forced to cope with when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so divorce was a big thing and change was a big thing and learning, um, in my early teens, I guess, what are the things that we get to count on and that we don't right? And when your family system kind of comes apart and reconstellates itself, then it really pushes us as younger people, I think, to have to adapt and to understand what that means. You know, um, so mm-hmm. anything that you, any illusion that you have that life is always going to be a certain way that got taken away pretty early. Um, so, but it was an amicable divorce, you know, it was a pretty amicable divorce. It was, there was a lot of sadness and hard feelings and stuff, but I was really grateful that my parents separated because I felt like I got the better of each of them when they were not okay. together than I did when they were a unit. So even though the, the unit of them as my parents didn't get preserved, I felt like something bigger evolved out of that, which was ultimately a happier dad and a happier mom. Um, it took a little bit of time, but, uh, and also I think a pretty deep closeness with my sister and brother, my younger sister and brother in terms mm. of how we gelled as a unit being the children going through something like that. And it wasn't immediately obvious. It actually became much more clear as we got much older as adults, how deeply close we are now, I think harkens back to that, having to go through that together. But you would never known it in the moment because we were just all over each other. You know, we we were really different. And so when we were teenagers, it wasn't evident at all that we were forming this deep bond. But now when we look back, and I think that's true about life, right? I think it's true about life that when we look back, we see the gifts that came out of difficult things. Right. And that's one of the things that I would say is, is a real superpower is the ability to, to trust that when we're going through difficult things in the moment, that we will be able to find the lessons in those things, even when it feels so hard and tight and dark and shrunk down and everything that if we look back, we've had those moments before and we've come through them usually wiser, even if we have to go through a lot of hard things, 
So my dream in life would be able to go through the hard things in our current lives right now, like in the moment, and be able Mm -hmm. to remember that, like not lose sight of that trust that good things are going to emerge from this. Let me be patient. Let me have faith. Let me trust. Let me let me go through this trying to imagine what the gifts are that are going to come out of this difficulty. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I, I love what you're saying. I love your outlook on life. I'm a big believer in that whatever experiences we have, whatever we go through in life, it's the meaning that we put to those experiences that dictate how we f- feel about it, how we go through it, the emotions associated with that. Yes. And I know, um, and we'll, we'll get into this um, a little bit later, but I, I know you're, you're really big on gratefulness mm-hmm. and gratitude, mm-hmm. but it sounds like even at a very young age, you had that within you, that, mm-hmm. that, that seed of gratitude, even though as a child, you don't really understand fully, your brain's not fully developed, you don't understand fully what's going on, and your whole social structure was, uh, you know, the whole foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it didn't sound like a lot of people growing up um, didn't have a super strong foundation. However, you were able to maneuver, guide your way through that and take the good out of a situation that other people, they, they might've come out of it a whole lot different. Mm, thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. I think that's true. Um, and it's an interesting thing because I often ask people what's, where did your grateful living story start? Like where, if you were to tell a grateful living story about your life um, and, and I often place mine really at the time of having cancer, right? So, and, and that coming through that experience and what that taught me, and that's definitely true. And yet just speaking with you today, it's interesting to look back and say, what might've some earlier more formative experiences been around where you learn to be grateful. And I always yeah. like to call it grateful anyway, or mm-hmm. where did you learn to be grateful anyway, or to have kind of an enduring gratitude that could could withstand things that were really difficult? Where did that come in your life? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that's interesting because, you know, growing up, nobody like mm-hmm. the experience you had, I were, you were, you were in your thirties, right? When, when you were diagnosed mm-hmm. with cancer. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm, I'm 39 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm at the tail end of my thirties, but I couldn't even imagine going, you know, nobody thinks, Oh, Hey, I'm going through life. I'm 20, I'm 30 and I'm going to get uh, cancer yet. It's so prevalent. It's so common. It feels like, in our society and, um, in the world at, at large. And so how, at first, when you got the news, how, how were you kind of unraveling this in your, in your mind, in your head? Like when you're 30, you're supposed to have the whole world in front of you. You, you know, the twenties for me, at least were a time of just trying to figure things out. I felt like once I hit 30, I was like, okay, I'm, I have more direction now. I have more purpose now. I'm going to just hit this world and give it everything I've got. And then to run into a roadblock, like it's not even a roadblock. It's, it's, it's much bigger than that. Like, can you just describe what you were going through initially when you had found out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so good. And um, you're so right that uh, I think the thirties are, I remember turning 30. I so remember turning 30. And I remember that it was like, oh, finally, I am 
who I am a little bit more. I'm okay with who I am. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a teenager, you know, and then I'm not fighting. I'm not subjected to the forces of my family and the culture so much, which is what those early things were. It's, and then my twenties was spent trying to sort all that out. Like who am I separate from my family and who am I separate from all the stereotypes and all the messages that I'm getting from the culture. And so in my thirties, yeah, it's like, Oh, I, here I am. And I'm so good. At this. And then it wasn't very long after that, that, um, cause I was 32, um, when I first got sick, but you know, the thing that strikes me about your question is that it literally took a full nine months until I was from the time I got sick till I was diagnosed accurately, finally. Um, mm-hmm. and that's an interesting wow. journey because it isn't just like, you know, you go in And, you know, for some people, it's a very different journey. It's a very short journey. It's a striking and shocking journey because they go in for a routine something and they come out finding out that they've got this really intense cancer. Um, Mine was, I went in with big symptoms and it took them nine full months to finally figure it out and to get me the right surgeries and to get me into, you know, all the kind of alternative and traditional treatments that I did. Yeah. Uh, those took another nine months. So it was a long part of my life. It was basically all of 32 and pretty much all of 33, those two years of my life that I was in this whole experience. And so how it struck me, Ace, was it struck me that uh, the biggest lesson out of it is this too is life. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like life was just happening for other people. I had to claim this as life as well. And so it was like, oh, instead of, you know, I've got to get back to life. It's like, how can I bring more life into this experience? Uh, Because I didn't have any choice about that. And so, and I think a lot of people, it's easy to resist what's happening, resist what is about our lives. That's so common. It's like, oh, if only I could get back to the way it was or get back to the dream I have for the way I want it to be. But instead it was, okay. Like there's no guarantee that I'm ever going to recover from this. This may be right. my life and it may be short. And how do I befriend that? How do I live as fully as possible into this experience? And it and let's just be clear, it was not easy and it wasn't comfortable and it wasn't it was an incredible amount of physical pain. Um, I, like something I had never imagined would be possible to to endure, actually, the amount of pain I was in. So I was like, you know, and, and then how do you do the best that you can in that? And, and for me, a lot of that was about learning to, um, learning to both be alone and to deepen a spiritual life for myself. Um, because that kind of solitude, that forced solitude was a very powerful invitation to, uh, you know, now what, <laughs> like what's left here? Right. Um, and how are you going to go through this experience? And so there's a lot of reckoning and, um, and peacemaking and, you know, and the kind of beginning of a little bit more of what I would call kind of a prayer or a much more contemplative life. I had, I had meditated before that and done yoga and everything before I got sick, but this was a deepening for sure. So that was right. one aspect of it was learning to really navigate life more solitarily and more spiritually. And the other aspect was learning to 
love and let love in more deeply because I had to, you know, I learned how much my life relied on other people and there was no Mm -hmm. illusion of the ability to be a solo player on the planet. Like that's just such an illusion. You know, our well-being is connected and attached to so many people's efforts and, and lives and gifts and support and generosity. And I never would have made it through without all of that. So redefining love as not just giving, but also receiving, but then also learning to love, um, learning to love differently and more um, the people I was around and, and all of that. It's like, okay, you know, you can't just wait for love to show up in the ways in which you're used to it. It's like, how are you going to love now when all you have around you are people who are like, literally like taking your bedpan away and changing your dressings and um, bringing you food and taking care of you and cleaning your room, you know, like, okay, well then these people too, how can I love these people too? Um, that right. was a really important question. Cause what if this is the only day that I'm here, am I going to just wait for some other day or some other form of love to show up? Yeah, no, that's so true. Like we, a lot of times I, I fall victim to this all the time is just expecting things to happen to me, expecting mm-hmm. people to love me, expect, you know, um, especially it's, it's really difficult when you go through something difficult like that as well, because you st- tend to be stuck in your head. You tend to look more inward rather than outward and having cancer, especially stage four cancer or any sort of illness like that. It's just, it's so it, I can't even one, I can't imagine it because mm-hmm. I've, I've never had to go through it. However, I, I see the times that I'm in dark places that I'm struggling with things and yeah, just getting yourself outside of yourself, mm-hmm. um, to be able to say, okay, well, if, if I, exp- if I want people to love me, I need to lo- mm-hmm. express love, mm-hmm. um, the law of attraction, got it. Uh, put simply. And so, um, no, I, I think you hit on something very, very important is that you can't expect, if you expect life to happen to you, mm-hmm. it's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you take control of your life, even in a situation where you're bedridden, what, what little you can do, you can still do a lot from your bed. That's right. Uh, you, you can read, you can, and, and I'm not taking away the days Mm-mm. and probably weeks that you felt absolutely horrible and couldn't even move. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking the, the little opportunities that you can, uh, one, one thing I love to tell people, and this is, this is my mission is I, I better myself. I try to be better so that I can do better. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the, those are the two pillars of life that I live on mm. is growth and contribution. So mm. I spend every day of my life trying to figure out ways of bettering myself, of improving myself just so I can show up for other people. Mm-hmm. So I could be that, that leader, that person that can guide people and uh, being an example of of what's possible in life, and I think you do a wonderful job of that. Thank you. Um, just, I love that mission. Just just want to say it's so important because a lot of people stop at the I'm going to better myself, and yeah. then I'm going to better myself some more, and I'm going to better myself. Oh, I'm going to keep bettering myself, and then I'm going to keep getting better and better. 
And what you're talking about is the ability to do better requires being better. And that the more we can be better towards ourselves, the more that we can contribute. I think a lot of people forget that second step. It's like, um, you know, I just want to feel better. I want to feel better about myself. I want to feel better about life, you know, and, but I think that idea that that allows us to show up for life and for other people more fully is really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Well, of course. And what, what I've realized too, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, is that when you like, like gratitude, for instance, um, that is a form of taking care of yourself, of being better. There's, there's tons of science behind the dopamine, the oxytocin, the serotonin that comes out when you have a gratitude practice mm-hmm. and bringing all those, those positive uh, neuromodulars into your nervous system, into your body will make you feel better, will give you more energy, will make you outward focused and want to help other people. Because if you feel better and you feel stronger and you feel more at peace with yourself, you're going to want naturally to have other people feel that way as well. And so I hope so. I I really think that there is a um there can be a self preoccupation, right? That that's also it's epidemic in our country actually a little bit I think, you know, is that there, you know, um it's easy to think that it all stops here. It all stops with the self. That if I can just get myself feeling better and be and the truth is perfectionism is a tyranny. Because I think there's also this idea that once I get it all figured out, then I can be of service to the world. No, be of service mm-hmm. to the world on the way every day, yeah. you know, that there's, there's, you've always got something to contribute. And, but I think we can all fall prey to perfectionism, which is, yeah. and I think the tyranny of, of self-improvement, it can be ongoing and ongoing and forever and ever and ever. And that so, and that can feel a little self, um, congratulatory or a little self-preoccupied or something. So I just think that there is that very beautiful piece, which is the recognition of the way that these two forces connect is so important that the world gets better. You know, we get better, make the world better. You know, there's all of that, that, that there's a deep connection between improving our own lives and our own sense of ourselves and how we walk through it and contributing to the larger world. And that that is a contribution to the larger world, right? That as we're more conscious and aware beings, we're going to hopefully make better choices on behalf of other people. But I think there really is something that is important too about the dopamine serotonin hits that come from, like when you have those experiences of being of service and kindness and generosity and doing things that feel like they're really aligned with your values and make a difference to other people. Once you get that hit also too, it's hard to deny it. And just to go back to, okay, I'm going to sit in my own little bubble and feel good about myself. It's like, no, I want more of that good stuff that comes from making a difference for other people. Yeah. One thing I want to jump on with that. So you had talked about, um, about your, your battle with cancer. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I, I know you don't know anything about my story, but I was kind of one of those people that was kind of like a perfectionist, just keep working on myself, working on myself, working on myself. And it took my, uh, my wife telling me she wanted to separate that. I really, you know, Mm -hmm. hit rock bottom and started to Mm self-evaluate. Okay. What am I really doing with my life? How am I spending my time? Have I done anything to really contribute 
to my family other than monetary stuff? Mm -hmm. Um, have I really contributed to that? And then the world more at large. And so, um, I call it an origin story that, that was my origin story was, was that, that, Mm -hmm. uh, moment that I had with my wife. And, um, I know you're a big part of your origin story is going through cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but you call them something else. You call them wake up calls, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's a wake up call. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Having someone tell you they're going to, yeah, I mean, that's, well, what does it do? Because otherwise I think, what do you wait? Right. It wakes you up. It's like, quack, quack. You know, it's like a cold shower. Hello. Um, yeah. Right. Know, wake, wake the hell up. <laughs> and because otherwise what's happening is we're walking around half awake, half asleep. If we're lucky, we're half awake. Maybe yeah. we're eighth awake and seven eighths asleep and numb and, um, and addicted or whatever it is mm-hmm. that we're doing, you yep. know, we're just caught in these incredible cycles that keep us from really being tuned in and attuned to the world around us and available to life. So life often will, if we're lucky, we get woken up. If we're lucky, yeah. we get woken up and we get to still keep living. I mean, that's a very big heavy duty thing. Like a lot of people get woken up, but they're taken out of the planet off the planet. Like it's like, Right. You have an accident and it's like, oh, I shouldn't be speeding. But then you don't get to live to live out what you learn. Right. right. Like wake up calls when they're really mm-hmm. of a purposeful nature. We make them purposeful by how we choose to live differently after them. Right. Right. And obviously I don't want. It would be great for, you know, for me, I needed that like that wake up call. I needed that. Cause like you were talking about being, being in that vicious cycle and it it was, it it was numbness, um, taking my problems and numbing it, uh, usually in the form of alcohol or, or, um, television, things like that. Um, do you know, uh, cause I, it would be great if everybody had a wake up moment, but at the same time, I don't want everybody to have to change their life because they hit a wake up moment. Is there a way Mm -hmm. that people, can start to become more fully aware, more fully awake, so to speak, without having to have those experiences? If I didn't believe that, I would not be here. I would not be doing the work I am doing. And I would not have written the book that I wrote because it's called Wake Up Grateful. (laughs) Um, And there's the double entendre of that, which is how to wake up gratefulness in yourself wake up grateful. Mm-hmm. And I also had to start every day with that experience. And, but then the subtitle is the transformative practice of taking nothing for granted. So partly I think there, how do we wake up in all the moments of our days without needing to almost lose or lose something? And how is it possible to stay awake, right? Like how do we keep that experience? And I think part of it is I mean, it's many things, but I, I call it a moment to moment practice. I call it, you know, a lot of things, but you know, in the book there's, I don't know, 200 practices, you know, for how we get at least how we get ourselves back, um, prompts that we can use questions. We can ask ourselves quotes. We can remember, um, and ways that we remind ourselves. And those are all very personal. I don't think there's a formula for this. I do not think that the same exact thing that works for one person is going to work for everybody. I've never been a believer in that. 
I think that it's mm-hmm. very bio individual and it's very kind of me- mental health individual. What works for you? Um, but I think perspective is the thing that is the common denominator is how do we get perspective? Wake up calls, deliver perspective in very quickly, sometimes yeah. very intensely and sometimes with a lot of loss. And so how do we gain perspective without needing all of that to be lost? Right. So, but I think we do have to be willing to look eyes wide open, heart wide open, soberly at the life that we have and, and where we're falling short and what we're denying and the truths we aren't telling ourselves and we're not telling other people, whatever. There's a lot of, um, coming home to ourselves. That's not always comfortable. And I think we, I think being grateful is often about remembering that we could lose everything that we have and that we will. And for Mm -hmm. me, mortality is my biggest perspective enhancement is that whenever I remember, I might not be here tomorrow. And that's very real for any of us. None of us know literally yeah. none of us know what's going to take us out or when. And I, I think that mystery is the great equalizer. I think it's also the biggest opportunity to really come alive is when we remember that we're going to die. And so that's a heavy, but it's the truth. <laughs> I think that when you say, cause that numbness, how we numb ourselves out and how we just put ourselves to sleep and go through life is an attempt to deny the fact that we on so many levels are here for a short time and that we have an opportunity to live this really extraordinary, um, uncertain, unpredictable amount of time that we have to the fullest and that that's the invitation every moment. And that so many people just don't want to think about that. It's like they just want to numb themselves out and put themselves to sleep because it's overwhelming and it's intense. And it's like you have to be willing to change your life sometimes. You have to be willing to change your life completely. And what does it mean to really wake up to your life? And what matters most to you? Those questions, like what matters? Because I can tell you that a wake-up call will crystallize what matters to you. Mm-hmm. Can you live? in a way that really reflects what matters to you every day, because then a wake up call will come to an already engaged, enlightened kind of consciousness, right? So it's like, if you get a wake up call, you're already living what matters to you. It's not that it falls on deaf ears. It's just, it's going to reinforce. Oh yeah. Right. I get to live in the way that really matters to me. But if you're not living in the way that matters to you and you're not living your, your life, and your heart fully out loud and whatever you're doing and you're just kind of numbing out, I think then these wake up calls can be really painful and really hard. So my thing is let's practice remembering in every moment what matters to us. Let's practice that and find ways back to remembering that if we forget, because we're going to forget over and over again. That's just life. I forget all the time and I have to have ways that that bring me back. That's what practices are, you know, is it's all a practice. Yeah. Now I know you weren't born with all these gratitude practices. And by the way, I will definitely, um, check out your book, (laughs) uh, wake up grateful because I, I, I love practices. I love rituals. I love developing new habits and, um, for for me, I've I've 
had a, a gratefulness journal mm-hmm. that I write in. And, but you're absolutely right. Like it, there's something about building up that muscle and doing it over and over again. Yes. But at the same time too, like you had said, you have to do, I've learned as far as gratefulness, it really has an impact when I'm doing it in a way that is very meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be the same right. for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more personal you make it, the more uh, importance that you put to it, I really feel will make it more effective because from the research that I've read, having a gratefulness practice, it could be as as short as one to two, three minutes of just... It could be a split second. It could be a split it, second. Exactly. It's it's one of those practices that, you know, when you go to the gym or run, you know, you have to run 20 minutes <laughs> or 30 minutes or things like that. But the crazy thing about gratefulness is that it can affect your body and change your your nervous system, like you said, in, in an instant. Like that. It is so powerful. It is really, you're exactly right. And I think, um, you know, there's a, the core practice that, that we use is called stop, look, go. And it's basically, you have to stop yourself in your tracks. Whoop. Uh, okay, here I am and I'm off on some tangent and I'm off doing it's like, stop, <laughs> stop, get centered. Look at what you have, which is look, get perspective, get perspective and then go, then move, go again. And even if it's just when you go to put your keys in the car, stop for a second, realize that you have a car, <laughs> that you could right. not have a car, yeah. that a lot of people don't have a car, that someday you might not have a car. You haven't always had a car. You know, it's like, what is it that we take everything for granted? Like, Right now, you know, we're looking into, we have speakers and we have headphones and we have a computer and we have a monitor. We have, you know, technology that allows us to connect to each other. Why aren't our minds blown all the time? And are we willing to live (laughs) that way? Because there's actually a vulnerability to that, which I really, I do talk about in the book, which is to really be present is to be vulnerable and to really be appreciative is to be vulnerable. I mean, I will say to use something that I don't know that I've really said that much at all before, but um, vulnerability is something that we develop a, you know, a tolerance. Like people have a vulnerability intolerance and that tends to be narcissism or people who are tremendously entitled or, you know, whatever that is like a kind of a state of being um, that has no tolerance for vulnerability as a core experience of life. So the more we can befriend vulnerability, the more we're going to be grateful the more we're mm-hmm. going to be able to be forgiving, the more we're going to forgive ourselves, the more we're going to apologize, the more responsibility we're going to take for our experience. So I think there's something that's such a core to the willingness to be kind of turned inside out in life mm-hmm. that is the harbinger of of joy, of, of well-being, no matter what, because it can be unconditional too, you know, the more unconditional it can be. Anyway, those are all, those are true. And when you say musculature, I think that's really, to me, I call gratefulness a spiritual muscle. It's it's a spiritual muscle. It's the ability to pull ourselves back, to actually have the muscle to come back to appreciating life and the opportunity to be alive, which is amazing. And it's not always going to be ours. So how do we do that? You know, that's very individual, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so powerful. And, uh, yeah, it's um I like how you you put the individualness on it cuz it it is so true. I've I've tried so many different types of gratitude practices in the past and some things have have worked and other things haven't. So um it's I think it's it's part of that self 
discovery that people need to go through and um, and really just figure out what works for them. What and and like you said, it doesn't take very long. Some of these practices can be very, very short, which yeah. is so great. It is so great because I used to do mindfulness meditation and it required 45 minutes on a cushion, right? So, and that's that's great, right? Um, and I'm a big yep. believer in yep. mindfulness and it's the precondition for gratefulness. Really, you can't be grateful unless you're mindful, which is why stop is the first step. Stop and get here, get present. Where are you? What's going on? Um, but one of the things I would say that's an interesting, I differentiate between, and I love that you use the word gratefulness so readily because- I think gratitude is um, it's very culturally bound right now, especially like we have all these ideas about what's going to what's going to make us grateful. And um, we wait for a lot of things, you know, to be we wait for good things to happen in order to feel grateful. And so that puts us in a very um, mm. a conditional mindset. And so I always like to focus on what's possible, what's unconditional, what's more possible unconditionally, which so I say to people instead of, you know, great to write in a gratitude journal at night, maybe not instead of that. But in addition to that, when you first wake up in the morning before anything has happened, what are you already grateful for? And that's a bigger question. What are you already grateful for? What's working about your body? What's working in your life? Like, is there an air temperature that is comfortable that you're in in any way, right? Like knowing that a lot of people you have a roof over your head? Do you, did you sleep under yeah, right. sheets or like on a bed or, you know, can you get out of bed? Can you breathe without oxygen um, artificially being pumped into your body? You know, like what are the things that you can be, are you grateful that the sun is going to rise every day? That no matter what you feel like the sun comes yeah. up, even if you can't see it and it sets every damn day and you're like that there's gravity and that there's, you know, that there's so many things. So it, the more, and I know you're going to appreciate this, Ace, because to me, the more unconditionally we can navigate our way to gratefulness, the more unconditionally can you be grateful no matter what, the more powerful our practice is, because then it isn't hinging on things being right. And it isn't hinging on just the, you know, the circumstances that you want. It's basically, I'm grateful to be alive, which includes everything. It includes the gratefulness of life. So even in hardship, can you be grateful? You know, even Mm -hmm. when things aren't the way that you would choose them to be, can you still find that place of gratefulness in your heart? Those, those are the, that's the musculature. I think that's really worth building because it's, it's very, very powerfully transformative experience in our bodies, for our minds for how we live our lives, for the people around us. It impacts everything. Um, yeah. No, I think that's so important. Like when I wake up in the morning, I I pray. I mm-hmm. lay in bed. I look up at the ceiling and I just pray to God every morning that uh, I'm able to do what I do, uh, no matter what my circumstances mm-hmm. around me might be. Um, and, you know, to be honest, my, my life right now is pretty hectic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things going on and, uh, that can weigh me down pretty heavily, but, uh, doing something like just from the onset, that's the first thing I do when I get conscious in the morning is I don't even get out of bed yet. I just pray. And I thank God every morning that I'm able to get out of bed and do the things that I need to do. Um, and one, one of the things I love more than anything else is going on this podcast, meeting people like you mm. and really delivering a message to hopefully empower other people mm-hmm. to live live full lives to live lives mm-hmm. that they um that 
that are, like you said, that are in their heart, you know, uh, things that they can better themselves and better other people. Um, thank you. Thank so, you. Because yeah. you're following your purpose, your passion, you know, you're doing this. It's really important. And I think it's really important for young men. Um, you know, you're only 39, you know, it's like, it's, this is really important to, to impart these messages and to invite people into a deeper truth in their own lives and to let people, to remind people that we can all change our lives. Um, that, that, that we have agency to make a difference in our lives, you know, that just, it doesn't have to be the same over and over again. And that, that there's ways, how do we make interventions in that though? Like that people need help. They need, Mm-hmm. They need practices. Yep. They need rituals. Those things are incredibly important. So, um, and and they make a big difference in how how we live our days, how we live our moments. You know, is how we live our days. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now, I, I know we're coming up against it here pretty mm-hmm. soon. Um, and one of the things I wanted to touch on is like a superhero always has like their supporting cast, mm. and by supporting cast, that doesn't always mean like they're you know you're here, they're there. Mm. Cause I know a person who, who's been very influential as a guide and a mentor in your life, um, is brother David. Mm -hmm. And, um, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with him, Mm -hmm. how that came about and the amazing organization that you guys have put together? Thank you. What a lovely question. Yes. Um, well, uh, it's so important that we I know, have, I know it's a, it's, it's a packed, it's packed big. question. No, so. <laughs> it's so good though. But I just think, um, you know, brother David's an extraordinary, um, leader, thinker, model, um, mentor, teacher. He's a teacher and he, um, I love how he arrived at, you know, when he was young, you know, a teenager, he realized that mortality was that when he did every day, he didn't die uh, during the second world war. He came to greater life because he was grateful. You know, like he realized that gratefulness was this unbelievable um, magnet for joy that when he could be grateful for the fact that he was still alive every day, it was the most incredible experience of joy. So he took that and said, okay, now what am I going to do? You know, and he decided to become a Benedictine monk. I mean, what the heck, you know, and he said, I was either going to get a girlfriend or I was going to become a monk. I had a fork in the road and I was either going to go this way or that way. And I'm like, wow, that's a fascinating choice. So he decided to go into a hermitage and to become a monk and to become actually a real spiritual scholar, an interfaith scholar. He was, I believe, I should be careful saying this, but I'm just going to say, because he was definitely one of the first, if not one of the only people to get permission from the Vatican to study Zen Buddhism. And so he was really interested in the intersectionality of, of all religions. And so as a mm-hmm. Benedictine, St. Benedict said, keep death always before your eyes. And that is one of the things that I think, you know, as oh, wow. a spiritual path, Brother David was really drawn to that because he resonated with that truth because that when he kept death before his eyes, he was very alive. And that aliveness and that paradoxical relationship with death, that was where he found the invitation into a deeper religious life. And I think for a lot of people, it's what wakes us up, right? So so he's a mentor to me. He's an incredible spiritual scholar. He's an interfaith leader, 
he's still alive. He's 96 years old. He, he, he's an extraordinary human being. I mean, and, and I met him many, many, I met him like 20 years ago. And, um, and then, and I became a supporter of a network for grateful living, which is the organization that he co-founded with a lot of other, um, friends of his and people who were really interested in bringing his teachings to the world. Um, and I was never, I never considered myself a religious person and I still don't actually, to be perfectly honest, I would consider myself a deeply spiritual person, but I mm-hmm. resonated with his lived religious his way of being in the world as a religious scholar. It was so exemplary and inspiring to me because it was so coherent and aligned and passionate and, so, so for me, when they needed an executive director of this organization, I'd already been supporting it. And I was like, you know, I wasn't looking for a job when <laughs> I said, I think yeah. this is where I'm meant to be. And that was eight and a half years yeah. ago. So, um, I, I absolutely love this work. I have an amazing team. Our website is gratefulness.org. We're just about to launch a new website called grateful.org. It's actually, it's the same website, but it's just, we, we got this new URL um, Noah was remembering that and reminding me of that. Um, and so grateful.org or gratefulness.org is, uh, a sanctuary, an online sanctuary that teaches us how to live offline, right? So people come to this beautiful website and they get all of this nourishment and inspiration and perspective to live their daily lives in a more grateful way. And we have this beautiful team um, of six people and we love serving people. It's just great. We have about a, I think about a hundred thousand different unique people a month who come to the website. So about a million, a million and a half million and a quarter a year. Um, and people are looking, you know, the people are seekers. Um, so many of us are seeking. And so we are kind of a seeker sanctuary. I would say we really are there to inspire people 24 seven to support them 24 seven people call us a lifeline for them. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous website. It's gorgeous. And it's such an honor and a privilege. And I'm so humbled to be associated with the work. So a network for grateful living. And, um, and you can find me at gratefulness.org too. you know, christynelson.net. I'm not sure. I'm not so sure that's really out of date because I don't consider myself, (laughs) I don't consider myself a, so much a thought leader as I am, you know, I'm not an individual, uh, I'm an individual person, but I'm not as Christy Nelson, like I've done everything in these past eight to 10 years in service of larger teachings and larger causes. And I consider myself a representation of those. Um, And I'm just humbled whenever I get to be speaking to the things that matter most deeply to me. So gratefulness is really where I hang in my heart and in all my days. Yeah. No, that's really awesome. So I guess if, if, um, if you had to give the audience one takeaway from our conversation today, mm. what would that be? How you start your day really matters because Ace said so too. So, um, <laughs> you know, no, I appreciate that. And that if, and then those kinds of things that we do to start our days, they make a real difference in how we live the days that we have. So they kind of put an, imp- yeah. they put an imprint on, on the day. And so I would say, make it matter how you start your day. Yep. 
Yep. And no, wake I, up I grateful. Preach, uh... <laughs> and if you exactly. can, wake up grateful. And uh, even if it takes a little effort, do what you need to do. No, def- definitely. Well, I think anything worth doing in life is going to take effort. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it could be simple, and that's what we strive for is simplicity, but usually it's never too easy mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, just yeah. overcoming that friction, like, cause yeah, trust me, when I wake up at five 30 in the morning, the last thing I want to do is, is think and try to be grateful because I'm groggy. And <laughs> the first thing I want to do is just turn my alarm off and, and turn to the side and, and yeah. go back to sleep. Um, but no, that's, that's absolutely powerful. Um, yeah. Setting your morning, right. Yeah. To set up the rest of your day. Yeah. Cause if you, I, I I think I've heard the term, if you win the morning, you win the day. Mm-hmm. And so a lot uh, of people I'm a huge, feel that, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. So, I'm with you on that. Well, awesome. Well, Christy, it has been an absolute pleasure Thank speaking you. with you. You too. Uh, yeah. No, no. The uh, pleasure's all all me. And um, I'll fight you, you for it. Learn more, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> if you want to find more about Grateful Living, the movement, Grateful Living, go to gratefulness.org or now grateful.org. And then if you want to go to the outdated website to learn more (laughs) about Christy Nelson, (laughs) go to christynelson.net. And there is the link to your book, Wake Up Grateful, which I will be getting myself because that sounds like an absolute Mm. amazing book. And uh, I just feel blessed that I've come across you because I know um, learning more about being grateful and applying that to my life is going to help me. And I know it's going to help anybody that, mm. that wants to dramatically, I'm not saying partially dramatically mm. change their lives because mm. it, it, it is proven to be a game changer for people, uh, how they look at their lives, how they experience their lives. And so with that, I really appreciate it. Thank you once again. Thank you so much, Ace. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for bringing me on. My pleasure. All righty. Have a great day. Talk to you again. You too. All right. Bye-bye.